Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 173 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today, we are going to be digging into a topic that you guys always seem to love for whatever reason and covering three micronutrients, including their function, symptoms of deficiency, food sources, and supplement suggestions for repletion. I think the for whatever reason is that our audience loves food as medicine and geeking out (laughs) about this level of information. So we have covered a lot of micronutrients. We're working through them. And today's episode, we're going to be covering folate. So of course, we're going to get into some geeky genetics there. We're going to talk about serine and we're going to talk about niacin and the buzz all around NAD plus and kind of where we see all that falling. So tons of stuff to cover today. And um, as always, we'll talk about the nutrient, the mechanism of action, food as medicine, and then things to consider with supplementation. And all things timely, we are in full throttle with this round of the virtual ketosis program. So if you miss this group, next time it's available is going to be May or June. So we're going to stop talking about that for a little bit. And um, all energy and steam forward is going into revamping the website. So we will be out um, seeking some information on how we can make a more effective user-friendly site. If you have suggestions, I'm happy for you to DM those. I might be putting out a form soon, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And a beautiful new website come quarter two, sometime in April, we will be launching that. And that will be in the same time frame that we're going to be launching the Naturally Nourished YouTube channel the following month. So all fun things in media and um, a lot more resources for you guys to support your journey. Yes, super exciting stuff on the horizon. And before we get into today's episode, let's just have a quick word from our opening sponsor for this episode, F-Bomb. Yes, you all know that I'm a huge fan of F-Bomb ever since I met them at the first KetoCon and was stoked to find something that I could eat that would not hurt my belly or give me that bitter taste of a non-caloric sweetener and all of the things. Um, When I met Ross and Kara, I loved hearing about their experience with fat-fueled living and um, was just really happy to to meet them and learn about their process of this high-integrity company. Uh, F-Bomb started off with packets of high quality fat. So you'll see often on my Instagram stories, Stella dropping an F-Bomb. She likes the macadamia pecan. Um, I'm a big fan right now of just the straight up macadamia and the macadamia coconut blend. Um, And they also have premium oils. They have MCT oil, olive oil, and they have coconut oil, which can work really beautifully when you're traveling on the go and trying not to succumb to a you know quick sugary or carb 
industrialized food product when hunger strikes. Um, so I love having the nut butter packs uh, in my purse to hand to Stella or to use myself. I am also a big fan of their Keto Crunch, which is a cheese crisp. They use microbial enzymes to get the best texture of a cheese crisp on the market. A really nice crunch within there. I love to top it on top of salads, throw it into snack boxes for Stella, making kind of like a homemade trail mix. And then I will also cut up their pork sticks. They have four different flavors. It's a fantastic texture and great fat, fat profile as far as the macros are concerned for a meat stick. Uh, another thing I want you guys to know is beyond the uh, F-bomb nut butter packets, they have launched jars. So these are really convenient for you to just grab a tablespoon if you're shuttling your kids off to school in the morning or in the evening if you have a sweet tooth. Uh, the chocolate macadamia nut butter has been a fantastic addition into uh, the Miller household and something that you can do with limited packaging and less of an environmental impact. And um, so go on over to dropanfbomb.com slash Allie Miller RD, and you can check out the favorite products of that line that I use in my household. Again, it's dropanfbomb.com slash Allie Miller RD. When you check out, you can use the code Allie Miller RD in your cart. That tells uh, the F-bomb team that you heard about them and you're voting for the Naturally Nourished podcast and um, also gives you a discount within your cart. Yes. Awesome. Love all things F-bomb for sure. All right, so we covered this topic back in episodes 102, 85, 72, and then way back in episode five, we did one of these three micronutrient focuses. So I'll make sure I link all of those past episodes because in a lot of them, we really dug into the why of why nutrient deficiency occurs in the first place. And I don't think we want to go too, too deep on that today, but let's just remind listeners of a, a couple of key points of maybe why deficiency would occur and, and why micronutrient testing, you know, might be something to look into. Yeah, because I mean, deductive reasoning says if we're at episode 173, it's been over a year uh -huh. <laughs> since we've talked yeah. about this, <laughs> since we do a weekly episode. So there's definitely a bunch of you new listeners. And um, I know a lot of you go back into the archives, but uh, yeah, I'll definitely unpack that because that's a common question that we get often is, well, I eat really clean. You know, why would I need supplements? Or I eat a really whole food based diet. Why would I be deficient in anything? And uh, the episodes that Becky mentioned, the last four episodes, we will put in the show links what three nutrients were covered in each. It's funny. I was looking back and zinc got in there twice somehow. <laughs> so I must have an ode to zinc, yes. But we've covered things like glutathione, B12, biotin, you name it. So definitely um, a lot of valuable information in those episodes. So why someone would be deficient, I kind of break this into three different categories. And one would be increased demand, another would be inability to absorb or use, and then the third reason would be inadequate intake. So the increased demand could be just generalized aging process or life cycle change. For instance, uh, a teenager that is going through puberty is going to have an increased demand in the nutrients that drive hormone production because they're surging hormones. Uh, increased demand for a pregnant woman that is carrying and growing a baby, right? Increased demand to an individual that was in an accident or plays high intensity sports and is constantly getting damage to their tissues. They're going to have an increased demand of recovery or repair. 
Same thing of following a surgical procedure, we might have increased demand. Um, and then inability to absorb or use would be, oh, last thing I do want to cover on increased demand, I would say, is this doesn't always have to be, it is physiological, but it could be like stress as the demand mm -hmm. or anxiety or mood driven, where, for instance, we could be creating that increased demand based on a high stress lifestyle where we're not sleeping amply or getting that deep restful sleep, right? Um, where we're burning through neurotransmitters, that's gonna then burn through B6, B3, and some other big players that are cofactors. So the increased demand could be a physiological process like aging, recovering from an injury, um, or it could be a mental emotional process that's creating that demand. Then the second category being inability to absorb or use. This could be two part. Uh, the utilization could be more based on genetics. Um, so if the individual has, for instance, like a SNP, a single nucleotide polymorphism, where uh, they have a quote-unquote dirty gene, uh, we've spoke about this process in episodes 69 and 70, or maybe it was 70 and 71, but it is the episodes uh, on epigenetics. And uh, we have an interview with Dr. Ben Lynch, who wrote the book Dirty Genes, and it talks all about these SNPs. Well, when you have a SNP on a gene that plays a role with a receptor of a particular nutrient, that's going to play a role with your ability to use. Uh, so you could have a VDR SNP on your vitamin D receptor. You could have one of the more popular known MTHFR, which is the gene that influences your folate receptor health um, or the utilization of folate as a nutrient. Um, so that would be where we'd see the utilization and then absorption would be based more on digestion and um, medication interaction could be within that bank as well. So if you are lacking digestive enzymes and you're lacking hydrochloric acid, then you may not be breaking down the protein that you're eating as efficiently. So you could see inability to absorb amino acids, or you might see an inability to absorb fats if you're lacking your gallbladder and you don't have that bile tank. And you may need to take like our digestate enzyme that has the ox bile in there to aid with the emulsification or the uh, absorption of fat as fuel. And the lipase as an enzyme in there is going to help you absorb the lipids. So absorption could be an issue with chewing or swallowing, the mechanical breakdown of your digestive process, the enzymatic and chemical component of hydrochloric acid and digestive enzymes. And then it could even be the influence of leaky gut because if your gut tissue is damaged, then you aren't going to be able to absorb as well along that gut blood barrier. So those are all components there. And then on the medication end, a lot of medications actually drive deficiencies themselves or interfere with nutrient absorption. So one of the, the more popular classifications would be PPIs or proton pump inhibitors. This is like Nexium or Protonix, Omeprazole to name a few. And these block the production of your stomach acid. So when you take these drugs, they can drive a deficiency of minerals and B vitamins that require that acidity for absorption. Then the final reason of nutrient deficiency could be inadequate intake. This could be that you're not consuming the foods that are rich in these nutrients based on 
a restrictive diet for uh, inflammatory reasons, like an autoimmune protocol, or this could be just based on choice, like vegetarianism, um, or it could be based on just not getting enough variety in the diet, um, eating to simplify of a diet, um, and not you know expanding your horizons, getting a variety of different color and whatnot in your produce selection and so forth. And inadequate intake could also be seen in a supplement form. We see this all the time. I just recently compared a client's prenatal to my multi-avail mama and saw that there was a variance of four to 400 times the nutrients present, or sometimes that nutrient wasn't even in the multi. Uh, Ritual is one of those, a really popular multi that just is not full spectrum coverage. So I would really watch out for that prenatal. It is, I think, one pill a day, which is why people like it. Maybe it's two pills a day, but it does not have a good complex of minerals and it is not uh, in a efficient enough dosage. It did have methylated folate. And I think now consumers are starting to kind of understand that. So they look for that, but it did not have chromium or iodine or so many of these trace minerals that are so important for uh, healthy fetal development. Yeah, totally. That's a big thing to watch with a lot of these, you know, seemingly sexy looking. I mean, their packaging is totally beautiful. We won't deny that. Um, But some of these uh, multis that are coming out and supplement lines that are coming out that just are not going to be effective. And then supplements themselves, just like medications, as we'll talk about at the end of today's episode, might interfere with another biochemical process, which is why you really want to make sure that you have sound synergy complexes versus maybe just jumping into bed with the new kid on the block. Totally. Okay. One thing you mentioned that I just want to allow a little bit more space on um, today is um, time and time again, we see this when we're reviewing micronutrient tests with certain individuals, that stress does play such a dynamic impact on micronutrient status. And I think it is this like double-edged sword of stress might deplete that nutrient, but it also could be that depletion of that nutrient, you know, already existed or that could exacerbate that stress response. Totally. And and we will cover that more deeply with serine today. Uh, That's a big, to me, indicator of adrenal imbalance in the body. So when I'm looking at someone's micronutrient results, and and I guess we should share that too as a premise. So we run a panel through SpectraCell Labs, and um, this is a micronutrient blood test that looks at 35 vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. So if you're kind of into this food as medicine thing, and you're looking at addressing your body on a functional level, you know, really ensuring that you're honoring all of your body's needs and your understanding as kind of a report card where your body is at as far as what are its higher demands or what are areas of the diet you want to focus on getting an abundance of nutrients in. This is a really fantastic test to consider. It looks at your intracellular status of your nutrients. So not just what's floating through the blood. I hear so often clients that test high for B12, um, you know, and that's just a serum test. I don't honestly even know why serum B12 is run. I, I have seen clinically low to be relevant, but I kind of call it a false high um, because often those individuals may still be functionally deficient intracellularly. So most lab tests, like through LabCorp request, they won't often, A, your doctor won't usually run micronutrients, but if they do, they're usually just running a serum panel, which is showing what's floating through the body. So if you take a supplement like Calm and Clear, let's say, or multi-avail mama or multi-defense, 
um, even without adding in that B12 boost, let's say, you often will test high because that circulation is flowing through your body, um, but your cells are not becoming overburdened with that B12. Is, that, is there anything else I should unpack on that, Becky, before I go into the stress thing? No, I'm glad you did though, because I can't tell you how many emails I get like, oh, my <laughs> doctor told me to stop it immediately. And it's like, guys, there's no risk to this A, like there's no toxic upper limit of right. B12. And oftentimes I have you on that because you tested functionally deficient or there's something else going on in your body where I suspect deficiency. And there's genetic SNPs on B12, like MTRR uh, and, and so many others. It plays such a role with methylation that, yes, it's, it's one that I'm never concerned about seeing a high serum uh, B12. So just a note there. So yes, if you're looking to get to the bottom of your micronutrient status, definitely check out on AllieMillerRD.com under labs and consults. Uh, you can purchase online the micronutrient test, and then you will get your results back with a customized email from Becky or myself. And the way we view these reports is not only saying, okay, you have three B deficiencies, a couple amino acids and um, a couple minerals and some antioxidants. Here's 25 supplements. It's what is the pattern of the body telling us? So here's where I'm going to answer your question, Becky. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I look at, for instance, someone that has functionally low folate, functionally low serine and um, functionally low, let's say glutamine. And um, maybe they also have some low glutathione or, or cysteine. And I'm going to start thinking about stress in that individual. And the reason being is I'm trying to understand what as a pattern is going to drive those particular nutrients low. Um, you know, so I know the role of folate as far as methylation and how that plays a role with neurotransmitter development. Um, I know that serine is going to play a role with regulating cortisol metabolism in the body. So obviously this individual, as I mentioned, may have some adrenal patterns of distress, especially if also their B6 is low, which is a cofactor for your neurotransmitters. Um, and then if they have that low glutamine, that would state that they likely have more food sensitivity or leaky gut, sore muscles, and you metabolize or burn through glutamine at times of high stress as well. So we're not just looking for a picture of what, it's getting the what to help us to unpack the why within the, the individual. And stress definitely is, as you mentioned, a double-edged sword. I talk about this a lot in my book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet, because Yes, stress will burn through the nutrients that play a role in manufacturing your neurotransmitters, right? As well as the nutrients that drive adrenal output. Um, but like you said, if you find yourself deficient in that nutrient, then you also are lacking the landing gear to mellow out from the stress response or the valve of the stress tank right? So that'll exacerbate the stress response and drive chronic anxiety, which keeps you in a perpetuated low state. And oftentimes when we're dealing with mental stress or anxiety, we're going to see functionally low B vitamins, because again, these are activators or cofactors for our neurotransmitters. Um, we might see low uh, status levels of vitamin C, because vitamin C, remember, is most potently stored in the adrenal glands. Um, and so it is used in the management and production of cortisol. So if vitamin C is low and serine is low, that's a huge indicator that that individual is likely going to need some adrenal glandular to add into their tank. Um, we can also see, as I mentioned, that glutamine and, and gut connection. 
And um, that's where I've said, if I'm lecturing on stage or traveling, I'll double down on the GI lining powder because literally stress alone can drive leaky gut. I've talked to you guys about how we've seen in clinical studies, social anxiety can drive up markers like LPS, uh, lipopolysaccharide, and, and that literally drills holes in your gut lining. So layering with glutamine is going to be a great way to protect the house, if you will, from that degradation of, of the stress response. Um, and it just kind of continues to perpetuate. Even on a mineral level, we can see that chronic stress can deplete uh, selenium, magnesium. Magnesium is a big one. Um, and that's where we experience like neuromuscular tension. And that's where we can start to see hypothyroidism because we need both of those minerals for the production of thyroid hormone. So the thyroid starts to slow down its function from the chronic stress based on the mineral deficiency. And then the HPA axis tells the body it's not safe to burn calories. So it's again, this total perpetual cycle. Totally. And that's one of the reasons I love running a micronutrient panel is, you know, beyond getting the what is deficient and how do we replete, we often uncover like more of a story with the individual than they even realized was going on in their body. Yes. And it might be something funky they're doing lifestyle wise, sure. and it could be a quote unquote health supported habit. Um, like I'll often see individuals that are using too much egg white with biotin, uh -huh. biotin excuse me, deficiency. Um, so maybe they're doing like the RX bar nut butter um, and they should switch to the F-bomb nut butter because that egg white in there, which you might think is a positive for protein, can bind biotin. And, um, you know, of course, that's why we want you to eat when you're eating eggs, the whole, the whole egg with the yolk, which has all of those active B vitamins and, and the healthy fats and the vitamin D, yes. all the nutrition essentially. <laughs> Totally. Um, and yeah, so the commonality, I think, between all three of the nutrients we'll talk about today, too, is that they can all be depleted in times of stress. You mentioned the influence of serine with cortisol and then folate and niacin both falling within that B vitamin category. Totally. Definitely. All right. So let's start to unpack and starting with folate, which I think most are familiar with from, you know, talk of preconception and pregnancy needs, and also all of the newer stuff on MTHFR genetic SNPs becoming more and more common knowledge. So let's just start out with basic functions of folate in the body and kind of some of its most important jobs. Sure. So Folate is, as you mentioned, a B vitamin that is needed to produce red blood cells and new tissue in the body. It is involved in the synthesis of DNA, RNA, and transcription RNA, and is necessary for cellular growth. It is required for the metabolism of essential amino acids, and it plays a role in the function of our red blood cells in the sense that um, we can see macro, macrocytic anemia when folate levels are uh, deficient. Uh, it plays a big role in the conversion of another vascular marker, homocysteine. Um, by being a methyl donor, homocysteine is a marker of rigidity uh, or vascular risk factor that we look at with uh, relationship to stroke and optimizing folate levels as well as regulating the methylation process in the body can help to convert homocysteine into SAMe, which is more of a feel-good neurotransmitter, detox supporter, and then would reduce that arterial risk factor. Um, now, 
I've mentioned the word methylate a couple times, so let me unpack that. So MTHFR stands for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, and um, methylation is a process of building or excreting in the most simplified sense. <laughs> Folate, you know, came on the market as a uh, synthetic nutrient folic acid, and there was a huge campaign for it um, when we started to see neural tube defects uh, that were associated with uh, refined flour. So when we started to switch our breads to white flour, right, um, you know, we started to see concerns with miscarriage. We started to see concerns with neural tube defect, um, with abnormalities in pregnancy. And so we started to learn about this vital influence of folate on, again, DNA, RNA, cellular production, red blood cell health, and it being very important in reproductive health. So at that time, and, and the dance is, is that there was natural folate occurring in the whole grain, but when the grain is stripped and refined to become a white flour, um, we're removing those nutrient-dense components. And this is when we started to see through the states and other, um, you know, I guess, industrialized uh, countries that were doing white flour, these functional nutrient deficiencies that were creating havoc. So we started to re-enrich flour, and this is seen in, you know, white organic flour as well as conventional, right? So any product made with flour, whether this is a organic cracker or, you know, any form of pasta or you name it, it's going to be enriched with the synthetic form of folic acid. And many individuals, about 50% of the population has one genetic mutation on this MTHFR gene. And when they have a mutation on that gene or a SNP, they are not able to readily use folic acid. In fact, folic acid can build up in that individual and create more distress to their body. So it's something that we'll talk a little bit more as we unpack further some other food sources to watch out of these synthetics. But that's kind of what brought this nutrient to the table was the processed food industry and the fact that white flour is void of basically all micronutrients. And this was one of the first pinpoint um, re-enrichment campaigns done governmentally because of the influence on fetal brain development. Totally. And it, it seems like it's probably had some of the opposite effect depending on you know your status as an MTHFR um, genetic person. So um, definitely some stuff to watch out for. And we'll unpack a little bit further on like where else you might be still finding that folic acid. But you know, yeah. if you're taking a multi or a prenatal and it says folic acid on it, just throw it out and we'll tell you what to take instead. <laughs> it's not going to help you. Yeah. Nope. So the, nope. the functions of folate beyond those nerdy things, because you're like, I don't know if my DNA or RNA or uh -huh. <laughs> transcription factors are, are, are they, you know, am I, am I experiencing a deficiency with that? I don't know. Right. Um, so I'm going to kind of break it down and, and go through a couple uh, deficiency symptoms you could experience if you have low folate. Um, so ADHD, and this can also transfer over into fetal development and, and hyperactivity in children. Pregnant women that have low folate status, we tend to see a higher in, um, influx of ADHD, which might be, you know, why, again, even though there was the folic acid re-enrichment campaign, we're still seeing such a rise of ADHD because of processed foods. It's very possible, aside from them, you know, interfering on a day-to-day -day level, um, really that's suppressing the folate status. 
so we can see ADHD, we can see anxiety, um, because we require methylation as a process of neurotransmitter production, especially in the production of serotonin and dopamine, which can have a calming effect on the mood and uh, prevent things like overeating or external reward seeking or stimulation needs. Uh, we can see an influence of folate on immune health. Uh, so we can see uh, asthma as a big one and higher uh, susceptibility to allergies when folate levels are too low. We can see an influence on depression um, as well as neurological conditions like autism in individuals, especially that have the MTHFR, higher susceptibility to autism. Um, and that can be doubly influenced if that individual um, has the MTHFR that is homozygous, meaning both genes are impacted. Again, go back to episodes 69 and 70 to learn more about this process of genetic SNPs. Um, but homozygous means both mom and dad gave you the dirty gene. And heterozygous would mean either mom or dad. So you're at 50% functionality or 0% if you have a homozygous. And we do see that as one of the potential components of why vaccines and autism, especially in the individual with a homozygous MTHFR, because as I mentioned, it's both building and excreting. So those individuals are not able to excrete the adjuvants in the vaccine as would an individual that does not have the MTHFR mutation. Uh, depression connected to that same concept of the serotonin and the dopamine. Uh, gastrointestinal health. We can actually see that colon cells are more likely to be precancerous or cancerous in the MTHFR population or individuals that have low folate uh, we see a huge trend in the neurological world of migraines, um, and we also see within that uh, neurological conditions, including Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, um, nerve impulse and conductivity can be influenced when folate levels are too low. We can see blood pressure issues. We can see fertility issues with both male and female because of, again, the reproductive um, hormone and the influence of DNA. And then we can see an influence um, in overall viability of cells and cell turnover to be um, inhibited when an individual has low folate status. Okay. And then beyond kind of some of those conditions and um, kind of commonalities, what about just some of the random symptoms that we haven't covered of, of things you would look for to identify a folate deficiency? Yeah. So uh, when we hit birth defects, the big thing, um, some symptoms that people will be working with would be restless leg. Um, we hit some of the mood stuff and headaches, but that's huge. Um, I, I can't tell you enough. I have a lot of population that have rheumatoid arthritis and some of them are on methotrexate. Mm -hmm. You know, methotrexate, um, the individual will usually take a folate, um, high dose folate medication one day a week, um, but it's not methylated often. It's usually folic acid. And so I've had individuals do really well with a 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate um, utilization to help to support not only mood, but, but migraines, chronic fatigue syndrome can be seen as well, memory issues, dementia, paranoia, a lot of the mental influence can be impacted by optimizing this folate. Um, we can see influence with insomnia. Constipation can be tied to both B12 and folate. Uh, I mentioned the, I didn't mention megaloblastic, but the um, large, um, of the large form of, of anemia 
the macrocytic and megaloblastic anemia can be seen. And then we can see, which that could mean then overall low iron stores with this um, deficiency. And then we can see neuropathy. I didn't mention that. So like the tingling sensation in the hands and feet that we usually associate with B12 could also be seen based on folate deficiency. Yeah. And I often find that the B12 and folate deficiencies will go hand in hand when we do a, a micronutrient panel. So we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more in a moment, I think. Um, what about just best food sources? So starting with kind of food as medicine strategy, and then we'll get into supplementation for known deficiency. Yes. Liver would be your best bet and you'd be best to do like our raw liver pills. Um, so those are on the blog and we'll be sure to link those, um, where from your butcher, you can just cut small pieces, like a little larger than a pencil eraser of liver and just swallow them down the hatch. Don't even have to think about the gamey taste or metallic profile. Uh, and you will retain the most folate in the raw form. Um, if that's not something you're open to, just incorporating ground liver into your ground meats, your burger patties, your bolognese and so forth, fantastic. Uh, liver is going to be the best form of folate for certain. And then I think of foliage. Um, and so leafy greens are great options. Um, so getting a variety from your rainbow chard and your spinach and your lettuces. Uh, also looking at like turnip and collard and mustard greens. These would all be great, fantastic sources, as well as vegetables like asparagus, uh, we do see a good amount of folate in avocado. Um, so it's kind of where we call that like a good fertility boosting food, um, having a lot of the B vitamins in there, the healthy monounsaturated fats and the uh, folate as a superstar nutrient. All those would be great options. And then herbs and seasonings, I would say using those in abundance, a uh, great form of antioxidants, but also of the folate because of that leafy green element. Awesome. So I'm thinking like half an avocado sprinkled sunflower seeds would be a good option as a snack to help with folate status. Yeah. And if you have the time to chew and you throw that on top of a leafy green salad, you're uh -huh. going to get some bonus points for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Let's circle back and just talk about kind of other um, reasons to watch out for that synthetic folic acid and where we might be finding it in the diet, even if we're not eating like bread or cereal and things like that. Yeah. So you could still find it in a paleo diet or a keto diet in anything that is enriched. So yes, any flour-based food, which I would say very loudly. And let me just state, this includes baby cereals, mm -hmm. right? Like your organic, I, I, I was going to say earth's best, but I can fact check that, but I'm pretty sure, um, of like the oatmeal or the rice cereals, right? These are going to generally speaking, have folic acid. And another reason why I would highly consider baby led weaning with whole real foods as opposed to cereals, right? So totally. Yep. aside from that whole world, um, if you're grain free and you're flour free, you can still find folic acid in uh, nutritional yeast that is synthetically re-enriched too. Now there are some brands of non-enriched nutritional yeast, which we can link one that's on our Amazon store. So if you are dairy free and you want like a, you know, ranch cheesy kind of kale chip or something like that, because kale chips would be a great folate boost. Uh, you could use that nutritional yeast, just non-enriched. Um, uh, but watch out for things like five hour energy, vitamin mm -hmm. water. Um, like Becky said, any like over the counter supplements, uh, a lot of these will have that folic acid. So if you see an IC folic acid, this is something that you do not want in your body. 
Um, if you know that you're MTHFR, especially because folic acid can actually be detrimental and work against that gene, building up the taxation on that already squeaky wheel that isn't working appropriately. And that can really hinder your detox process as well as also your body's ability to manufacture cells, <laughs> manufacture red blood cells, uh, you know, regulate oxidative stress in the body, make these neurotransmitters and so much more. Yep. And even like off the shelf protein powders and things like that, it might look good to you because it's got this whole nutritional panel of other nutrients they're, that they're adding. But more times than not, I'm seeing um, unmethylated folate in there too. Totally. Yeah. All right. So what about supplementation and um, what forms of folate would be acceptable or desirable to look for? So you want to look for 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. It's also seen as 5-MTHF or L-methylfolate or natural folate. Um, and so natural folate is a patented form of a blend of folinic, very different from folic acid, folinic acid, which is calcium folinic acid and 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. Um, and so that's that quadrifolate and folinic acid blend that we have in the multi-avail mama and um, in the B complex. And then the multi-defense just has that 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate. Okay. Um, so those would be good forms if there is known deficiency or susceptibility toward um, deficiency with that MTHFR gene. Um, what about concerns for giving too much I know this is something that I've seen with um, the medication Deplin, which is like five to 15 grams of folate. Yes. And, and Deplin is an L-methyl folate, right? Um, but it's one of these conditions where more is not better. And that's why we in the multi mama and in the B-complex have a blend with the folinic acid because methylfolate on its own can drive this process of methylation, but many people in the population, about 30% of the population has a genetic mutation on a different gene called COMT, which we talked about in last week's podcast when we were talking about women's hormones and estrogen metabolism. So COMT stands for catecholamine methyltransferase, and this uh, regulates your catecholamines or your fight or flight stress responding neurotransmitters. And um, in individuals that go high methylfolate and have a COMT gene, they're going to basically get this excessive production of these neurotransmitters that dam up and they're not able to release. And so we can actually get overly excitatory, anxious, um, racing thoughts, difficulty concentrating, insomnia, panic attack. Um, and so this is why specifically the Calm and Clear supplement in our line does not have any folate. And then um, the multi-avail mama and the B-complex use that blend of the folate. So it does not have synthetic. It has only the natural forms, but it is not high dose methyl drivers because that can overmethylate, which can create that panic, anxiety, and stress response. Sure. And even if you were supplementing with the multi-defense or multi-avail mama plus the B-complex, you wouldn't be getting anywhere near even that lower end of like the five grams of folate. Yeah, I cap it at two. Yeah. Um, and so that's the the point where we start to say, okay, you know, so, um, and it, I think we're 
talking milligrams, Becky, right? I'm just um, thinking out loud. Two yeah. grams of folate, right? Because the multi-avail is going to have about 800 um I don't micrograms. Know. Wait, micrograms. Micrograms. Yep. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. So it's like, whoa, whoa, grams whoa. is a lot. That is a lot. So <laughs> milligrams because it's in micrograms in most um, yes. supplements. Yep. Yes. That makes more sense. So two milligrams is where I would cap it at dosing, um, especially unless really under clinical guidance. And so, yes, you know we're looking at like eight hundred micrograms, right, in the multi-avail mama. Um, we're looking at, I believe the same dosage, right. In the multi-defense. Um, so that's just shy of one milligram. And then that would still give you, if you wanted one milligram of a pure methylfolate, or you were on some like homocysteine regulating formula or X, Y, Z that still gives that insurance and that flexibility. Okay. Awesome. I think that shed some light and yeah, milligrams, micrograms, very different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like not, five to 15 not grams. Five to 15 grams. That, that would be really excessive. <laughs> I think someone would feel very wiry. <laughs> uh -huh, for sure. Oh my gosh. Um, any closing thoughts on folate before we move on to serine? Um, no, just that again, it, it's that beauty of like, you know, there's a sweet spot. It's a pendulum swing. Um, don't take the synthetic form, take the bioactive form probably take a blended bioactive form like we have in the prenatal. And um, then, you know, you'd want to look at if you're taking the active form that's in most of our multis and our kids that you just don't go over that two milligrams a day and you should be rock and roll and don't use any synthetically enriched foods because that probably means that they're processed products. Yep. 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 All right. Moving on, kind of breaking up the B vitamins a little bit here. Let's talk about serine. Um, so what is it? What does it do in the body? So serine is a amino acid compound that is used to manufacture proteins, energy, and the cell membrane structure. And it also plays a role in the synthesis of cell components, DNA, and RNA. It is an essential amino acid and it's obtained from the diet. So that means that your body does not make it, right? Um, and it's synthesized from other amino acids and metabolites of glucose. It plays a big role with memory and healthy cognitive function and aging. And um, as I mentioned before, the form phosphatidylserine, which is the one that we're looking at a lot with the support of neurological conditions, uh, serine itself plays a role with your myelin sheath, which is the uh, protective coating of your nervous system. Uh, serine plays a role with serotonin as well. And, and in that production of phosphatidylserine, phosphatidylserine has been shown to play a role in blocking excess cortisol. So like I said, if an individual runs low serine, I can hypothesize that likely they've demanded that based on their, their spikes of cortisol. And so they've been converting their serine into phosphatidylserine to try to bring down that cortisol. Um, and that's a big anchor of a stress response. You could also, um, when we're looking at the influence of it being an essential amino acid, um, it plays a role with lean body mass and with lean body mass production plays a role with uh, metabolism. So if you're functionally deficient in serine, you may also have a difficulty with gaining muscle mass and also with burning body fat. Totally. And, and that we could see with individuals of low protein status, and we'll talk about kind of ways to replete serine. Um, what about other um, just kind of conditions and um, other scenarios where we might see low serine? 
So we see alto like folate, a huge influence on mood. Um, we can see anxiety, depression, dementia, and cognitive decline because serine is required by the brain to manufacture the memory-related neurotransmitters. And it also plays a role with the functional membrane lipids that maintain cellular integrity, right? Um, so we are going to be influencing our mood in the sense that the serine can provide a calming effect. Like I said, it, it buffers that cortisol adrenal response. Um, and so we can see lowered anxiety scores with individuals that supplement with serine following post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, phosphatidylserine is in the calm and clear, and so this can also help with sleep. Insomnia would be a symptom, often because that cortisol peaking in the middle of the night disrupts depth and quality of sleep. Um, we can see an influence in our NMDA receptor function, which can drive depression uh, because uh, the serine plays a role with our neurotransmitter balance and low levels correlate with the severity of depression. We can see influence on fibromyalgia with serine. And um, serine also supports, along with folate, methylation processes in the body. So if we're low in both of those, that could have a, a heavier hit on all of those folate deficiency uh, symptoms that I mentioned. Although you won't maybe see neurological condition in the sense of like the tingling sensation like you will with folate, it can definitely exacerbate neurological conditions, as I mentioned, because it plays a role with transduction of your nerve signaling and the protection of your nerves playing a role with that myelin protective sheath again. So especially if we're talking the population with multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, um, you know, any onset of dementia, serine would be a big one to watch for. And then um, it does play a role also to support not only lean body mass and muscle recovery in athletes, but it can help with muscle gains post-intensive workout because that serine can buffer the post-workout post cortisol. And remember that cortisol peaks as a survival hormone. And that's where we talk about practicing like that four, seven, eight breath or getting into a parasympathetic space so you don't spill cortisol throughout the day after your intensive training. Got it. That totally makes sense with that connection. Um, any other just kind of random symptoms to call out that might speak to serine deficiency? The only two that I think I didn't hit on yet um, would be fatigue um, and hair loss. Um, and so, you know, just generally speaking, when we're not getting ample protein in the diet, those are two things that we can see in this being a functionally essential amino acid. Um, you know, this is where we can really see that low energy hair loss. And then I already mentioned all the muscle mass and mood stuff. Yeah. Okay. And then in terms of food sources for repletion of serine, um, as an amino acid, obviously protein is going to be a big one here. Yes. The best form is going to be grass-fed whey. Um, and so grass-fed whey has the most bioavailable amino acid profile, meaning that the gut can actually absorb those amino acids and use them the most efficient in the body. Uh, so our non-denatured grass-fed whey is going to be a good go-to, especially if you know that you trend towards any of these symptoms, a great food as medicine, but also supplement support. Um, and then the other thing that we would look at as proteins are going to be our meat, our seafood, our eggs, and then secondarily um, getting some from maybe nuts and seeds. Uh, but, but dairy would be the best, the best source here for serine. Okay. And what would be the recommendation for repletion in terms of, I know I usually lead with um, grass-fed whey versus supplementing with serine. 
Yeah, totally. Um, and that's because, you know, amino acids can compete. And so you want to be strategic if you're supplementing with amino acids themselves. Um, so like a, a scoop to two scoops of grass-fed whey five days a week is a great way to maintain optimal uh, serine levels. And then, like I mentioned, if we're talking about any of those neurological conditions, the insomnia, the anxiety, depression, the um, issues with nerve function and conduction, I've had individuals that have experienced Bell's palsy, you know, and, and some of these just really kind of fluke neurological flares. Calm and clear is definitely the go-to there because not only does it kind of bathe your neurological system with nervine herbs and a complex of B vitamins, it also gives that phosphatidylserine, which blocks again that cortisol peak and is going to provide that um, support for the cognitive function as far as memory, mood regulation, and brain health. Okay. Awesome. So good strategy um, with the calm and clear there. Let's have a quick word from our new sponsor for this episode, Wild Foods, before we move on to our last nutrient of focus. Awesome. So Wild Foods is an Austin-based company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They have everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms, and every single product is painstakingly sourced from small farms around the globe. They take their mission seriously to fix the broken food system and believe real food is medicine. And they've partnered with us and the Naturally Nourished podcast to give you guys an exclusive discount. So when you use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout over at wildfoods.co, C-O, not com, you will get 12% off your order. Um, and on the topic of coffee, I just want to mention, I always get DMs because Brady's a huge coffee nerd. And um, we're always getting questioned about like my uh, mycotoxins and um, you know what coffee we use. We've transitioned uh, and have been using a lot of the wild foods coffee in our home. And we blend in a lot of their superfoods to make an epic fat-fueled latte. Uh, so we've been adding in their wild cacao butter wafers. So this is raw, organically grown, unrefined, non-deodorized, food-grade, certified fair trade cacao butter. So this is the fat that is in your cacao pod, chocolate, right? And it does have a fantastic flavor profile and mouthfeel. It melts beautifully into a fat-fueled coffee and um, is a great option, especially if you're dairy-free. Uh, really rich in vitamin E, so fantastic for skin health as well. And then I've been playing with their unbelievable <laughs> wild vanilla, which is, um, you know, I've for so long, I use vanilla in a lot of my recipes and um, vanilla extract is going to have a carrier. It's either going to have alcohol or it's going to have a glycerol base. Wild vanilla is made from carefully selected hand harvest whole vanilla beans and the entire raw bean is dried and ground. So you get that rich, dark, aromatic profile of flavor in a powder that is very flexible to be used in dry or liquids. And um, you're getting a delivery of antioxidants in that also flavor enhancer. Super excited to use that like in fat bombs and smoothies. I've gotten away from using whole vanilla beans since like my raw food days. So I'm excited to bring that back. Thanks yeah. And as your palate, as your palate <laughs> yeah. cleans up, it's like you can taste that residual yeah. alcohol, you know, and, sure. and so it's a total game change for yep. sure. 
I'm also really excited about their wild matcha, which is going to be stone ground green tea. Um, Obviously we love, love, love matcha. We're constantly talking about it, but the source is so, so important to use a ceremonial grade matcha. So, you know, by ingesting this entire leaf, you're getting all the nutrients in the green tea leaves. And one serving of wild matcha is going to be equivalent to about 10 glasses of regular brewed tea in terms of its total nutrient value. So pretty dynamic difference there. Um, It's going to be more of a sustained energy if you're not doing coffee without that like jittery crash. And a lot of the matcha out there um, that I find on grocery store shelves is going to be kind of that bitter oxidized, like doesn't look bright green. Guys, Mm -hmm. this is the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You always want to look for that ceremonial grade, but now you have a quality source too. Yes. Yes. Um, And then on the topic of teas, I've been playing with a lot of their teas. They have 10 blends that are numbered. Um, Two that you should check out, the coconut chai, which has a blend of ginger, coconut flakes, cloves, safflower, and a dash of chili. It's fantastic. It's like warming. It's got a little kick. Fantastic in... um, coconut milk as a delivery, as a hot tea. And then I have been obsessed with their Thai G. I just think it's a fun name too. Uh, the Thai G uses green rooibos, which I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, so this is non-fermented rooibos tea. And so it actually retains more antioxidants. It's not red like the traditional rooibos. And this uh, green rooibos is paired with ginger, lemongrass, and lime. And it's fantastic iced or hot. Um, I've been blending it with a little bit of uh, coconut water and collagen as like an awesome midday caffeine-free antioxidant boost. I love that. And then one more area of interest, especially today as we're talking about you know, ways to reduce the stress response and reduce stress-related nutrient depletion um, would be Wild Foods adaptogenic mushrooms, which are a great addition into your morning coffee routine. So they've got um, this one particular elixir called Cocotropic Wild Superfood Elixir, which is a blend of wild cacao with reishi and chaga mushroom extracts, raw maca and wild turmeric. And it is absolutely delicious. It is. It's awesome. I was like, it's, it's, just undescribable. It's a great way to get in all of those superfoods, antioxidant boost, anti-inflammatory and stress supporting, um, all delivered in a a tasty way and with no non-caloric sweeteners. Yay Yay, guys. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can also access all of their medicinal mushrooms also by number and individual ingredients. So if you're just looking for reishi for the immune boost, or if you're just looking for the cognitive enhancement of chaga, um, you can check all of those out at wildfoods.co. Use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout and you will get 12% off your order and let them know that you heard about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. Again, that's wildfoods.co. Put in the code Allie Miller RD and check out all of the things. So cool. They are up to some really neat stuff. All right. Um, one more nutrient to go. Let's talk a little bit today about niacin. So I'm sure listeners have heard about this in relation to heart health, um, but it has a bunch of other functions, maybe a little lesser known in the body as well. So let's dig into what niacin does. Sure. So niacin is a B vitamin, B3, 
and it is a coenzyme for antioxidant function. It enhances the production of GABA in the brain. So remember that's that neuroinhibitory compound, the mellow router, if you will. It is a cofactor for production of serotonin. It stimulates adiponectin secretion, so it can play a favorable influence on body fat metabolism, and it decreases LDL. And that's probably the biggest area where I have used niacin as a supplement strategy is when I see an individual having a lipid profile that's unfavorable and we're really working to get their HDL up. Um, that is one of the kind of turnkey ways of increasing HDL. I like to get them going on avocado and coconut oil. I like to make sure that their blood sugar level is under control, and then I will throw in higher dose niacin up to their threshold. We'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> and we can see some remarkable effects on the HDL going up. And remember, HDL is like the, the broom of the vessel. Um, so that's very cardioprotective. Uh, nicotinamide um, is needed, and that's a form of niacin nicotinamide, and it's needed to metabolize uh, our food into energy. It plays a big role with um, production of NAD and NADP, um, which function in our oxidation and reduction reactions in the body. Um, we're starting to kind of see this huge buzz wave of NAD plus and people in the health guru space comparing this to as important as ATP, true energy production. Um, and it's really because niacin is required in the breakdown of all forms of, of macronutrients from carbs, proteins, and fats. Uh, niacin can be synthesized by the body from tryptophan, which is that amino acid building block to make um, serotonin, right? Um, and it is not as efficient though maybe as we'd like it to be. And the concern is that a stressed individual, because they're stealing tryptophan for serotonin, you know, may not be making ample niacin. So it might be one that, that would be worth ensuring is in, in your supplement strategy. Got it. And we'll dig into the NAD craze and, and see if it's all it's cracked up to be in a little bit here. Um, what about just some common conditions and symptoms seen with niacin deficiency? Yeah, anxiety is a big one. Um, B3 deficiency is definitely um, correlated with anxiety. And we have seen in clinical uh, research, pharmacological doses of B3 playing a role on enhancing GABA in the brain and also um, allowing more of that serotonin to, con excuse me, that tryptophan to convert to serotonin. So maybe because of the high dose B3 supplement, we're not stealing that tryptophan, right, for its essential use. And um, within anxiety, I'd also say ad addictive tendencies because of that GABA influx. And, um, you know, if you think of the molecular structure of nicotine, um, there is a similar structure of the nicotinamide. And so when we're talking about withdrawal, addictive tendencies, especially in smoking cessation, it's a novel area of interest of um, something to investigate. Uh, we see a big impact on diabetes and metabolic conditions. So niacin can actually preserve our uh, beta cell function in our pancreas. And it does play a role with glucose tolerance, which can play a big role with how your insulin levels bind in the body. We see, I already mentioned kind of the, the dyslipidemia. So we talked about how niacin can influence uh, by reducing the LDL and increasing the HDL. 
Uh, it can play a role with metabolism, both with body fat loss from that adiponectin and also just in energy production for the body because it converts all food into fuel. <laughs> so that's an important piece of the puzzle. We can see uh, niacin levels uh, supporting insomnia when taken in the evening. They can actually increase uh, REM cycles of sleep. So we can see enhancement of quality and quantity of sleep. And that could also be in two part that component of tryptophan preservation. And then it does play a role, all three nutrients also today play a role with methylation. So niacin can play a role with proper methylation um, and plays a role with the genes that suppress um, your tumor growth factor in the body. And uh, there has been some studies that they're looking at with niacin in combination with chromium um, and using that in clinical trials for weight loss because of the blood sugar management and the body fat metabolism elements. Okay. So as you mentioned, um, kind of the lipid impact is one of the biggest areas that you've used this um, clinically. I want to speak to this a little bit because I think it can be a great alternative to you know individuals who are maybe thinking about going on a statin or that's kind of getting pushed on them because their cholesterol isn't improving. Yeah, absolutely. So you could consider a higher dose niacin of 750 to 1,000 milligrams. So that'd be about, this is about one gram now we're talking yes. <laughs> um, per day. And this is where we start to see clinical evidence of an increase of um, HDL by about 20 to 35%. So pretty substantial. So you'd want to make sure that you're doing like a 500 milligram um, tablet or capsule twice daily to get that clinical outcome. And then there is some studies looking at an even more detailed assessment as we get into the world of one to five grams, a reduction of the small LDL particles, of a reduction of triglycerides by 30%. Um, we especially see that enhanced when we're getting a nice boost of omega-3 fatty acids like our EPA DHA extra provides. Um, we can see a reduction of our VLDL particles with optimized niacin and an enhanced niacin supplementation. We can see a reduction of LP little a, that uh, platelet aggregation marker, the stickiness factor in the blood. And then again, a total reduction of that uh, LDL. Yeah. And I think worth noting here, you know, it's not that the niacin is kind of the miracle cure for this. You want to make sure you're taking that anti-inflammatory EPA, DHA, and kind of addressing some of the foundational underlying reasons that cholesterol could be off first with diet before you go to the niacin strategy. Absolutely. And um, so within the world of strategy, maybe before we go into foods, should we talk about the flush real quick? Let's do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as we're talking about kind of dosing at these higher levels, when, when you're seeing a, a multivitamin, um, we're going to see very low dosages like 10 milligrams. Um, so our multivitamins have 50 milligrams, which is going to be about five times higher than what you'll see on most over-the-counter options. B-complex and multi-defense um, are going to have that 50 milligram dosage. Um, but when I am dosing someone at that 500 milligrams plus, I always have to educate them on the influence of a niacin flush. And this is a side effect that will occur with um, a temporary vasodilation, which the individual could experience uh, red skin, warmth, 
tingling, burning, or even itching after high dose supplementation. And this happens because the capillaries expand and increase the flow of blood to the skin's surface. Um, so it is a visible and an experiential flush um, that an individual can experience. And it can kind of feel, it can feel hot to touch, um, like a sunburn essentially. And it can begin anywhere between 15 to 30 minutes from consumption. And it should only last about an hour. It, it's considered harmless, but it can be uncomfortable. And for certain individuals that have, you know, va vascular issues or concerns, it could be dangerous in the sense of individuals that have known liver damage, uh, gastrointestinal problems, uh, glucose intolerance because it can cause a blood sugar crash, uh, low blood pressure because it can that vasodilation can further lower their blood pressure, and heart rhythm changes or arrhythmia. Um, so it is one that you'd want to be mindful about and, and likely talk to your healthcare practitioner if you're looking at these, these high dosages. And we usually will kind of wean people up where for the first couple of weeks, upwards of four weeks, we'll just do that 500 milligrams. And um, I'm always going to use an extended release tablet. Um, we'll put a link to the one that I prescribe um, to clients for that HDL raising effect. Um, if you'd want to check this out as an intervention for your lipid markers. And then, you know, we go after a couple weeks um, upwards of that one um, gram or 1000 milligrams, um, which both ideally would be taking in the evening versus 500 and 500, because the morning you're usually drinking coffee, you're exercising, you're more active. Whereas the evening, the flush should be a little bit less influential. The thing that will exacerbate a flush is alcohol consumption. <laughs> so if yep. you're a wine drinker and you're drinking, um, excuse me, and you're taking high dose niacin, that probably isn't your favorite intervention or combination. And that can further impact the liver. Also spicy food, anything that creates kind of a flush, right? Going in a sauna, not a good idea. Yep. <laughs> if you're taking high dose niacin during that window of um, the metabolism of that nutrient in your body. Totally. And then um, another note that high doses over long periods of time can also hinder methylation. So if you are an individual with known MTHFR um, variant, you might not want to mess with this at least for an extended period of time. And that's kind of where I would take my take home on NAD. So sure, if, yeah. if you guys are, um, you know, watching certain health influencers, a lot of companies are coming out with this NAD plus um, supplement and kind of calling it this metabolic miracle. So NAD plus is going to be um, providing usually a form of nicotinamide riboside or um, which is NR or NA nicotinic acid or nicotinamide mononucleotide, you know, any, any of these forms um, to boost up your NAD levels. And the idea is that your NAD levels go up and down depending on what foods you eat, the time of the day, your exercise, um, they go down with food consumption, they go down with stress. Um, it's kind of experiential as like jet lag. So people that are doing NAD infusions call this like a, a huge boost of energy um, and state that it can enhance, you know, of course, energy production. It can enhance um, anti-aging effects, uh, but much likened to the influence of the, all of the lifestyle factors that we already know drive the aging process, like lack of sleep, too much alcohol consumption, um, micronutrient deficiency, um, chronic fatigue, uh, exposure to toxins, right? So 
There is some potential modulating effects. We do see that NAD um, can be most favorable or, or most, I would say, strong consideration for mitochondrial conditions um, because it does play a big role on our uh, proteins that target mitochondrial disease. So if we're talking about like our sirtuins, um, there, there is some uh, influence there with sirtuin activation and that is associated with metabolic age and, and related health. So it could be something to consider, but we do know that resveratrol bumps up our NAD. Um, we do know that enhancing overall antioxidant status is going to bump up our NAD. We do know that supplementing with niacin can support our NAD. And then, you know, supporting reduction of these stressors in our system can be a big piece of the puzzle as well. And even a, a keto diet has been seen in some studies to increase NAD. So a lot of the things we're already doing or already talking to you guys about on this podcast um, versus this like miracle supplement. Right. I mean, if I was to choose, I would go for something like the Calm and Clear that has the complex of B vitamins and the phosphatidylserine and the L-theanine nootropics, you know, so we're getting a, a, a herbs and um, of both the adaptogens and nervines so we can get a myriad of effects from it versus this one targeted compound, um, which yes, can protect cells from oxidative stress um, and can support against free radicals but is one directional and can also drive impact negatively on methylation. So that would be the, the primary concern there. Sure. And I think, you know, safest bet certainly would be to start with nice and rich foods um, and adding those into your already anti-inflammatory low carb diet. Yes. So let's close with some niacin food sources for individuals. Um, Again, just like folate, we're going to lead with organ meats. Um, they are just the most concentrated in nutrients and in B vitamins for sure of anything in the diet. Um, so again, great ways to incorporate these would be check out the pate recipes on the blog. I have two recipes in the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, the uh, turkey nuggets with macadamia nut and the sneaky bolognese, both fantastic ways to get organs into your family. You can get good amounts of niacin also from tuna and skipjack, as well as your dark meat poultry. So your chicken thighs, bone and skin on, uh, beef, salmon, um, all of your red meat, lamb included is going to be a great source of niacin. Shrimp is another great source. And then um, as far as non-animal product, uh, peanuts as a legume can actually be a great source. So a, a redeeming property for peanuts, mushrooms, asparagus is an overlap with folate. Um, and then we can get a good boost of niacin from our bell peppers and tomatoes as well. Totally. So I'm thinking uh, chicken liver pate with bell peppers as a dipper and maybe some cherry tomatoes as well would be a good way to incorporate a couple of those foods. Yeah. Or my Greek lamb meatballs with roasted yeah. asparagus. <laughs> All that works really beautifully. Yes. Awesome. 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 So hopefully we've given you guys some good kind of tips and tricks for identifying nutrient deficiencies. And I think it really comes down to, you know, first of all, starting with a nutrient dense diet, starting with compounds that are going to help you with stress management, and then building on from there versus looking at all of these as kind of a one-stop shop because they're all interconnected. 
Absolutely. And if you are curious of your micronutrient status, go on over to AllieMillerRD.com under labs and consults, check out the micronutrient test. It's a blood test. Um, the way that it works when you order labs on our website is you put it in your cart, you purchase it. You're going to get an email in, within two business days from my husband, Brady. He's going to give you details on a lab location uh, closest to your zip code to do the blood draw. You get the blood drawn and within a week of those results being available, you will get a customized lab review, the hard lab results, and then food as medicine and supplement strategy, as well as a cool clinical tool handout that we use at the Naturally Nourished Clinic, all for you to use within that lab purchase. Um, so go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and check out all those resources. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.